Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. It's never an easy call with so many problems in the world to know where to direct the money that you donate when you want to help out in this world. But what I can tell you is that when you donate to CAMH, you're saving lives. We know about the opioid crisis. We know about the mental health crisis. They are doing the work. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at CAMH.ca slash CanadaLand to help us treat addiction and build hope. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land, and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures, and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. Can you tell me about Mr. Fahmy? How are your diplomatic efforts trying to go? Very good. Is he going to get out soon? What are we going to get? Can you say that again? Imminent. Imminent. You catch that? That is what Minister of Foreign Affairs John Baird said, that his diplomatic efforts with Egypt were going very good and that jailed Canadian-Egyptian journalist Mohamed Fahmy's release was imminent. Baird said that shortly before he quit his job as foreign minister. When asked why, Baird said that he wanted to go out on top. And when considering why he would leave in the middle of an unsolved problem, he said, it was the right time for me. Well, it was not the right time for Mohamed Fahmy. We've just learned that Fahmy's release is far from imminent. In fact, he is going to be retried this week in Egypt on charges of spying for the Muslim Brotherhood, charges that he's already been convicted with, sentenced to seven years in prison, convicted by an Egyptian judge who said that Fahmy was doing, quote, the devil's work to destabilize the country. By way of context, these charges are absurd. Fahmy works for Al Jazeera English. He is a Canadian citizen, a journalist, doing his job like any other, and he has now spent over 400 days in prison for it. So what exactly did Baird do for Mohamed Fahmy? 
Well, he convinced Fahmy to renounce his Egyptian citizenship in return for his freedom, which Fahmy did, reportedly under great duress and to no good end. What Baird did not do, he did not use, would not use, what he calls bullhorn diplomacy. He would not publicly shame Egypt. He would not demand Fahmy's release. He wouldn't do it. He suggested that it was the wrong way to go, that it wouldn't work. But of course, it did work. It worked recently for another Canadian journalist, John Grayson, and the Canadian doctor that Grayson was filming, Tarouk Lubani. They spent just 50 days in the same Egyptian prison where Fahmy has been for over a year. What is different about these two cases? What are the variables? The variables that freedom or imprisonment, perhaps life or death, rely on. To find out, we are going to compare the case today of Dr. Tarek Lubani to the case of journalist Mohamed Fahmy. Tarek Lubani himself will compare the cases. Freelancer Bethany Horn recently caught up with Lubani on his way to the airport to fly to Israel to provide medical help in Gaza. She also spoke to the Fahmy family just hours after they learned the awful news of the retrial. And you will hear all of that in a moment. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Jenilee Mundy, Jeffrey Allen, James Elwood, Dan, Laurie Smith, Jimmy Roberts, Eric Deckers, Gerald Litwinenko, Maxim Morin, David Luinstra, and by Mark Bylock, a Canada Land supporter who also happens to be the author of a very handsome volume called The Whiskey Cabinet, in which he rates and reviews over a hundred whiskeys, including really affordable ones. I don't want to have a book about really rare whiskeys. I want to have a book about whiskeys that are highly available. So most of them are available at the LCBO and other stores around Canada. I rarely talk about whiskeys over a hundred dollars. Occasionally do when I think they're really worth it. When I really like the bottle, I think it's it's good to mention those. But as I say in the book, if you have three hundred dollars to spend on whiskey, I'd rather you buy three to five bottles than buy one three hundred dollar bottle of whiskey. Yeah. You get to enjoy more different types of whiskey. Uh, you get to experience what your mood and what your whiskey and how they match. Because it really is. It's kind of like wine. Sometimes you want white wine. Sometimes you want red wine. And yeah. it's the same idea. Maybe you want your bourbon and maybe you want your single malt scotch. And I think it's better to have a variety of whiskeys, which is why I called it the whiskey cabinet. Uh, Mark, you sponsor the show. Yep. You came here in the morning with whiskeys. I did, yeah. God bless you. There's still another bottle, eh? The Whiskey Cabinet by Mark Bylock. You can find it on Amazon. Check it out. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. We hear a lot about the opioid crisis. We talk a lot about the mental health crisis. These are serious problems. These problems affect us all. They've affected my life and my community 
They are not intractable problems. I don't know what's going to solve them on a policy level, but day-to-day helping people, that's what CAMH does. They do it on the ground when people need help, and they do it through research. The team at CAMH gave our team a tour of their facilities, and we were really just blown away by the incredible, heroic work that they're doing every day. They treat everyone with dignity, and their research is seeking and finding real solutions for everyone around the world. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. I want to take a quick moment to let you know that the next CanadaLand live taping is coming right up in Fredericton, New Brunswick. This is a free event. It's right around the corner, Thursday, February 19th at 7.30 p.m. at Kinsella Auditorium at McCain Hall at St. Thomas University. The folks at the New Brunswick Media Co-op are organizing this, and they've assembled for me a fascinating panel who are going to discuss the Irvings, not just their media monopoly, which I've discussed before on this show, but also their forestry monopoly and how the two things impact each other. Again, this is a free event, but if you want to make sure that you get a seat, email me at jesse at jessebrown.ca. Hope you can make it out. Global outrage continues to pour in over the imprisonment of three journalists in Egypt. Canadian Egyptian Mohamed Fahmy is among the journalists. He's been sentenced to seven years in prison on trumped-up terrorism charges. Foreign Affairs Minister John Baird has been criticized for his somewhat muted response. Today, John Baird said that there really isn't much that Canada can do directly. The justice system has to take its course. No, it is not appropriate. Uh, Canada should have spoken up forcefully. Hi, Bethany. Hi, Jesse. So that was what the media had to say about John Baird back before he left, and we all decided that he was wonderful. In order to help us understand this case of Mohamed Fahmy, you spoke to to Tarek Lubani. Why? Well, Tarek Lubani has a lot of insight into this process of being in jail in Egypt, getting arrested on spurious charges, waiting to hear how your government is going to respond and, and whether there's any hope for you. He's also followed the Fahmy case. He feels very connected to Fami as a fellow prisoner in that same jail. Tarek got out, and a few months later, the Al Jazeera English journalists were arrested. Uh, and he, he told me he doesn't feel free as long as other people are in the same situation that he was in. The nice thing about the jail is that now I don't think I can ever be in a shittier jail. When I was detained by the Israelis earlier this year, they said, isn't this the worst place you've ever been? I was like... You would not even believe where I've been, you know? (laughs) The first thing that you have to do is you have to make peace with the cockroaches. They're everywhere. Initially, you have this instinct when you see cockroaches crawling on other people of ticking them off. And then you realize that actually you're bothering that person more by ticking it off. And so you never go after a cockroach a person doesn't notice. It's like cockroach prison etiquette, I guess. One toilet for 38 of us. In, in Fahmi's case, I'm sure he was in a beautifully spacious room in which there were only 10 of them in a 3-meter by 4-meter room. The other thing about the jail, I think the worst part about it, worse than the cockroaches is that for 23 and a half hours a day, if you're lucky, 24 hours if you're not, you're stuck in this room. No windows, no even bars, just a solid metal door. You don't know if it's night or day outside other than by the meals as they come and if somebody has a watch. 
and I believe Fahmi was even at some points put into solitary confinement, which is a one meter by one meter room with no light whatsoever. It's terrible. The jail situation was really tough, and they didn't know what was going on on the outside. They found out later, and when he sort of realized it, he credits Baird as one of the key reasons that he and John got out when they did. When I came out, I I spent literally days just poring over how it was that our release came to be, just so I could understand it, so that if it happened to other people, I would be able to say, here's what worked in our case, what I think you should do. And it became incredibly obvious to me that the Canadian government is the proximal reason for why we were released. They worked so hard, I think, because there was a lot of pressure on them to work really hard from a lot of very intelligent people who were very devoted and very committed. But the proximal reason for our release was the immense pressure that the Canadian government brought to bear. And the tip of that spear was John Baird. So if we go back in time and we listen to John Baird in 2013 and how he spoke about this, he was full of tough talk and he was unequivocal in in what the government of Canada's position was on Tarek and John. The government uh, at the Prime Minister's direction has been engaged in a big way uh, to secure the release of uh, these two Canadians. Ten days ago I spoke directly with the Egyptian, the new Egyptian foreign minister and uh, stated in no uncertain terms that uh, this was a significant problem in our bilateral relations, that it is simply unacceptable that uh, Canadians can be uh, held for this long. I think the thing that uh, Canadians uh, have got to know is the Prime Minister has directed that we bring all resources to bear uh, to resolve this as expeditiously as possible. It obviously is completely unacceptable for uh, for Canada. Uh, and, uh, you know, we've received representations from literally tens of thousands of people Uh, We're having strong discussions with the Egyptian authorities on this. And uh, all I can say is that Canadians have got to know that their government at the highest levels is doing absolutely everything we can. Absolutely everything. Strong at the highest levels. I mean, he's sort of just driving home that there's there's, there's no two ways of thinking about this. They're doing everything they can. And then Fahmy happens just a few months later. Trek sees the difference in, in the way that Baird talked about him versus how Baird talked about Fahmy. When the Fahmy case came, he was out in the media saying, what can I do? Immediately after, he had seen what he had done for us. He knew the immense power that he had in our case and projected as though he had no power in the Fahmy case. I remember Baird saying that essentially, you know, his hands were tied and that, you know, this wasn't the time for bullhorn diplomacy. He certainly sounded like a bullhorn for Tarek and John, uh, but now it was not the time for bullhorn diplomacy. Yeah, and during those first months, which we can think about months in a as not a long time, but when you're in jail, days drag out and being in jail without charges before a trial for months for being a journalist is a really serious thing to go through. And during those months, Baird changes the subject. If he's challenged on on this issue, the media calls the government of Canada's response muted. In fact, the first time our prime minister addresses the issue is 
only after a trial sentence is Mohammed Fahmy to seven years in prison, we don't hear any conviction really or certainty. Uh, on the uh, the uh, the journalist in Egypt, um, you know, we have provided consular service. Well, obviously, there are some uh, difficult circumstances here, but the Egyptian authorities are very aware of the position of the government of Canada. Bethany, isn't like a big difference between these two cases? The celebrity factor, like Tarek and John had Sarah Pauly and all these people banging the drum for them. I remember there was this intense amount of uh, social media m- momentum to get Tarek and John freed. I mean, it's, I know that any cause, you know, people say, oh, we need to raise awareness. But this actually seemed like one with Tarek and John where raising awareness did trigger a government response. Yeah, it did. And the grassroots campaign to free Mohammed Fahmy in Canada has taken a different approach. There, There isn't a press conference at TIFF where Adam Egoyan and Alex Gibney talk about how important it is that filmmakers uh, have the right to film. Instead, I see like freelance journalists who've changed their Twitter picture to, you know, free AJ staff. It doesn't have exactly the same sexy appeal. Well, yeah, I mean, it is it is valid. It's just not the same sort of pressure on the Canadian government to act. The media campaign hasn't been as strong. In the Tarek and John campaign, the media was the main weapon because we lacked clout in so many other ways. The Canadian government found it very hard to take a position that lined up with the Egyptian narrative. They really were forced into an upstanding position where they took the right side. The right side. The right side being one for human rights. These are this is a doctrine of a documentarian who've done nothing wrong. You have to let them go. In the case of Mohammed Fahmi, they bought this message that they should try diplomacy first. So no, the media campaign is very different. And if Fahmi is released, we don't know why. Okay, now, Bethany, we've talked about this a bit before, and I know that you don't want to say, because we don't know for a fact, that there's a direct cause and effect to this. But what you can do is just sort of lay out a series of events about this funding that Baird provided to Egypt. What happened that we that we know? We know that Baird went to Egypt. We know that Baird met with very important people, his counterpart in Egypt. And we know that on his last day in Egypt, Baird announces this help for the Egyptian Ministry of the Interior to provide training. So Canada is going to invite Egyptian police to our country to train, and we're going to send Canadian police to Egypt to train them there. And this this was published on January 15th, so this is the last day of his visit in Egypt. So rather than hearing strong language about we need these Canadians released now, we hear that he's gone to Egypt and offered money to fund the very same police that imprisoned Fahmy, and then we hear that Fahmy is to be released. Right. So I present this to Tarek to see what he thinks about it. You know, one of the things I remember in a conversation I had with um, one of the people who came to visit us who was quite high up within the embassy I I remember saying, I don't want to be traded for funding for this dictatorship. And I really hope that they have not traded Mohammed Fahmi's freedom for funding for a dictatorship that's going to do more of this. 
I really hope that didn't happen. I don't know. I think it's one of those things that we'll probably discover in like 20 years. But I pray and hope that that's not what's happening. So Tarek had a really strong reaction, a very visceral reaction to this idea of Canadian funding for specifically the Ministry of the Interior, which is who who arrested him and detained him. And so he told me a story of, of his first interaction with them. Once we got out of the van and into the welcoming party and they started beating us, one of the things that was remarkable was how disciplined they were at hitting. One guy would be hitting me and another guy would be telling him, you're too high, you're too low. Medically speaking, it was fascinating. Even while I was being hit, I remember thinking about it because they were hitting between my bottom rib and the top of my hip. So it was all soft, fleshy, nothing to break that shows up on x-rays and looks impressive. And when accidentally one of these people connected with my ribs and actually broke two of my ribs, they heard it. Everybody heard it. They heard the snap. And so he says, the, the spotter says to him, work on the other side for a bit and I remember thinking wow these guys are remarkably well trained they're not angry they're disciplined they know what they're doing somebody's taught them how to do this so when I read in this article that Canada has agreed to send a team of police officers to Egypt to train their Egyptian counterparts I understand that somebody like me is going to be beaten while Canadian-trained Egyptian police are administering a Canadian beating. It, it sickens me to even think about it. So, Jesse, we've compared these two cases from a lot of different angles. We looked at the social media response and campaigns and, and how celebrities and members of the opposition affected the government's rhetoric and what we as Canadians heard our government's interpretation of the two different cases mm -hmm. as. We heard difference in the news media's coverage of the cases and we heard how Tarek sees Fahmy through his own eyes and his own experience and how he's seen it play out differently for Mohammed Fahmy. But we haven't understood yet how, why it's different for Canada. The Egypt that imprisoned Tarek and John is, to Canada, a different Egypt than the Egypt that imprisoned Mohammed Fahmy. How so? When Tarek and John were in prison, there was chaos in the government. There wasn't a strong leader. Since Mohammed Fahmy has been in jail, Sisi has emerged as the clear president of Egypt, and Canada sees it as important to adopt that interpretation. Tarek may not see it as a different Egypt. The prison is still the same. The conditions are still the same. The court system still doesn't work in a way that we could call fair. So it's become politically important for Canada to see it as different. But to Tarek and to people who, who see this as a human rights issue, it isn't different at all. When Fahmy gets out, Egypt will still be a tin-pot dictatorship with Sisi at the helm. And when Sisi is assassinated or overthrown, it'll be some other tin-pot dictator. 
and we're supporting it. I think the first thing to do is to realize that we have immense power and the second thing to do is to start wielding it so that we can start turning around some of the complicity of the Canadian government and um, some of our own silence. The bare minimum is that we should inform ourselves and then try to do what, what they want us to do, which is to eliminate the international support, weapons, money for this regime. Okay, uh, Jesse here on my own now. And again, what you just heard is what Tarek told Bethany Horn on his way to the airport, on his way to Israel, on his way to Gaza, when they both still thought that Mohammed Fahmy's release was imminent. Now, Bethany reached Tarek Lubani again on the phone this time in Gaza after he heard the bad news that Fahmy is to be retried. And here is Tarek Lubani's reaction to that. The best way to describe the way I felt when I heard the news was absolutely enraged. The family had been put through the humiliation of renouncing their identity, and his identity is an Egyptian. And then after that, to be told that he has to be put back on trial, it's, it's an obscenity. I still feel that my freedom is incomplete, that I'm still shackled in that prison and can't get out until Muhammad Fahmi is out, until Bahar Muhammad is out, until every journalist and political prisoner is out. Bethany also was able to contact Adel Fami, Muhammad Fami's brother, who is in Egypt, where he traveled with the rest of the Fami family, thinking that he would leave the country with his brother. Well, he found out otherwise that is not happening, at least not yet. And Bethany asked him how he took that awful news. It was devastating. It was shocking. We were at the prosecutor's office trying to figure out why the deportation is taking so long, what documents are missing. Any. And suddenly I heard from the news that he has been... You know, uh, it should have been a retrial, you know, starting on February 12th. And this is completely weird because we had assurances from the Canadian ambassador last night. Uh, Amal Clooney, our lawyer, spoke to the ambassador and he told her there's 100% assurances that he's going to be deported, that it's not a matter of yes or no, it's a matter of timing. And, you know, we have been preparing ourselves for that. His fiance quits her job. The Canadian embassy issued her a visa. We packed all his bags. And uh, I came in from Kuwait, where I live, and we were planning to head to Canada any day. Have you had any contact with the Canadian government? We're in constant contact with the Canadian embassy, but we have not spoken to anyone today because we're just devastated. Um, we have been calling on the Prime Minister to intervene for months and months and months, and he never came through. Amnesty International issued uh, an open letter to the Prime Minister, Human Rights Watch, CJFE, uh, Fahmy and his lawyers have asked him to intervene, you know, and he never came through. And, you know, we know the Canadian ground uh, officers here are doing their best, but it seems that they're not talking to the right people. Um, we feel that they're not speaking to the most senior officials here, and we feel that the most senior officials in Canada are not putting in their clouds. You know, we've seen Peter Greste, my brother's colleague, he has been deported, and this prime minister has spoken to the president at least three times, and they were both in the same situation. My brother has denounced his Egyptian citizenship, 
and a quote-unquote, he's considered a fully Canadian, but we don't understand why he has to go through this retrial again. And the Canadians have, government has attended the 13 hearings of the trial from day one, and they know there is no shred of evidence of the award-winning journalist. He's never been, you know, involved in any violence, so any sort of criminal activity. So why hasn't the Canadian government put all the, the clout behind it? Yeah, I think that's the question that that we're all asking ourselves. Um, was there any progress when Baird visited Egypt earlier this month? Weeks before the announcement, we knew that he was coming and the date that he was coming. And we knew why he was coming. He wasn't coming for my brother. He was coming here to pledge millions of dollars to the Egyptian government. He was coming here to announce that the Canadian government is going to train the police force in Egypt. And then when the issue started heating up in the Canadian media, he branded his visit that he was coming for my brother's sake. But what does that mean? That's the question. Okay, so that is where we're at right now. It might be different by the time you hear this. It is Sunday today. This came as an absolute shock. News of the retrial. Thank you to Bethany Horn for getting comment on this from overseas at the last minute. On Thursday, this goes to retrial. Amal Clooney, high-profile celebrity lawyer, advocating for Mohammed Fahmy, perhaps to a greater degree than his own government. We will see how that government responds. That's all for now. That was your Canada Land show. I hope you enjoyed it. You can always email me at jesse at jessebrown.ca. I read them all. I respond when I can. I am on Twitter at jessebrown, and the website is canadalandshow.com. The crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. And the next episode of Canada Land Shortcuts will be up on Thursday. If you like this show, support it. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.